Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to be speaking with Brandon Bussey. He has a lot of experience in high-growth tech companies, and he's going to be sharing with us about how to map out your sales process, how to structure your team, what what is a sales process, as well as uh, making sure your customer experience is, is a good customer experience all the way through the sales process, uh, not just after they sign up. So it's a really good episode, a lot for you to learn for you to set up your back end. And talking about setting up your back end, if at Startup Sales, this is what we do is we help you build and define your sales process. So if you're needing help with this or hiring your team or getting your first sales, feel free to reach out to us. You can find out more information at startupsales.io. That is startupsales.io. Anyways, let's get into today's episode with Brandon. It's really great. A lot to learn. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Brandon, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background is? Definitely. So I've actually been in kind of the high growth tech space now for 10 plus years. I started out at a company called Concur Technologies, which was later acquired by SAP, then spent a number of years at Amazon as well. I think most people are familiar with with Amazon and then moved into kind of the smaller, more kind of startup scale-up space and went to a company called Qualtrics, who was also recently acquired by um, SAP. Spent a couple of years there in the sales operations slash sales strategy space. And then about 14 months ago, I moved over to a company called Lucid Software with our core product being Lucid Chart, a really a visualization product that um, and it enables you to kind of visualize your data flows or any any sort of process or I mean there's there's really the use case is pretty pretty endless but I'm heading up our revenue operations team here so everything from supporting our customer success and predominantly our our sales organization so everything from commissions all the way to to strategy and really anything we can do to help them be more successful wow, terrific so very high level technical side of uh, of sales yep. All right. So how is your team, uh, your sales team structured today? Um, our sales team is is predominantly structured into, I mean, pretty traditional in that we have both closers and setters. And our closers, we segment the market because our product really aligns to any business vertical and, and essentially any persona as well. So we primarily segment the market by size of company and we use employee count. So for example, we have enterprise segment, which is 2,500 employees plus mid-market, which is 100 to just under 2,500, and then SMB, which is below 100 employees. And so each of those has a specific team that supports it. And we have carved out a couple specific personas and specific markets as well. So Europe being one of those, we have recently opened a team, opened an office in Amsterdam and have a team there supporting our, our EMEA region, and they support all the segments there. And then we also have a team focused on a couple, our education vertical as well. 
um, that we've carved out specifically. And, and they actually kind of have a unique model in that head employee headcount doesn't really apply. They do use district size and um, number of students more as the, the metric there. But predominantly, that's how we've kind of carved upon, uh, our closer team um, apart. Then from a setter standpoint, we have a team that supports all of the, the other teams and they do it from an inbound perspective. And then from an outbound side, we've structured it slightly differently in that we have a team that supports our enterprise closers on a one-to-one basis. And then a, another team that supports kind of our mid-market and they're, I mean, essentially like a, there, there's two or three of those uh, on the outbound side versus a team of like roughly 30, 30 to 40 people. Wow. Okay. So what does your uh, sales process look like then? Um, so we are, we are kind of an interesting model and I think it's becoming a bit more common in the marketplace. We are a, we have a freemium offering so or a self-serve product as well. I mean, it's called different things. Similarly, you can think of like a Dropbox model or a box model where individuals can go, you can go to lucidchart.com right now and sign up um, for a free license or as an individual, you can then buy a pro individual license and then even like purchase on the website some small collaborative team products, then that's where our team comes in and you can then purchase a, an enterprise product, uh, which is interesting. So one of the things that, that we've done on the enterprise side is we've obviously used paywalls and different things and, and different collaborative functionality, as well as, you know, security, enhanced security and really administrative functionality to distinguish the, the enterprise product. And in addition to a few other things like additional templates and whatnot, but the, I, I give you that context because our sales team really can engage almost at any point in that kind of life cycle of an account. So oftentimes what we'll see is an account will, you'll kind of see these initial initial penetration where someone will find Lucidchart, which is our, our growth team is focusing on getting kind of individuals into the account or sorry, into the product. And they'll sign up for maybe a free or even a, an individual paid license. Our sales team will then kind of monitor those accounts and they'll have them assigned to them. And they'll look for kind of triggers of when should we be engaging with this account? Like when do they reach a certain threshold or have the appropriate appetite to consolidate all those individual licenses into an enterprise SKU or product and drive them into that product? And then once we get them there, then they just work to kind of grow and you know, as, as we say, land and expand within that within that product. But our first play is very focused on kind of a consolidation effort of how do we get all these disparate accounts into a single account? And, you know, we have obviously a value prop and, and whatnot that, that we, we use to drive that. And so a lot of our process is very, I mean, we have very traditional sales stages similar to, I mean, it's very similar to the pre-canned Salesforce stuff that comes out of the box. But, you know, first and foremost, you know, we, we do discovery and, and focus on, you know, finding, is there an opportunity and discovery will look very differently if it's this consolidation play versus expansion and upsell. But at the end of the day, the stages in the process is still very similar. It's just what the activities you're doing in each stage might be somewhat different based on what kind of maturity that account is at. What are some of those triggers that you're talking about that the sales are looking for? Yeah, that's a great, great question. One of the things we've introduced, our demand gen team has introduced a concept called PQLs, product qualified lead. And some of these are very, very specific. So if someone wants to request to implement an integration, we have found that that has a real high correlation to them wanting to move to an enterprise product. 
Um, and so there's some of these specific behaviors done at the user level that indicate we should engage with them. So, but and, this is uh, this is for people that have already purchased and are just looking now to expand. Correct. So when you say, well, individuals that have already purchased. So I'm an individual, I have purchased this and I want to integrate into the G Suite. Well, that is a pretty clear indicator for us, with, especially with G Suite, that there could be a really good opportunity to actually go deeper and, and have a more systematic opportunity with this account. And so we'll create a what's called a product qualified lead, send it to the sales rep. They'll engage with this user. That person might not have authority to buy. They might just be an individual user, but it's also a great gateway to then actually get to the, the true purchaser of our software. And so we'll, we'll often do like a, almost like a referral type engagement where we'll say, Hey, who, well, why are you interested in loose chart? Why do you want to connect into, you know, G suite? Oh, well, we have this broad initiative to, you know, collaborate more in the cloud. Great. That's like the, the perfect feeder for us. Great. Who's driving this initiative. Great. Could we make an intro? That's when we will then get to either their manager, some sort of IT procurement or some sort of a more strategic buyer. Then we can have a broader conversation and attach our product to a broader initiative. Okay. That sounds great. But what about the um, the people that haven't purchased yet? The great, people yeah. that are downloading the eBooks or, or signing up for the freemium model, what triggers are, are your sales team looking for to know that they should approach them? We've actually been very, very successful just focusing on, you know, users that come in through through the funnel. And this is a new motion that we're really trying to build out is like really the net new motion. And so one of the things we look at is um, accounts with collaborative issues or similar technologies. So we really do well when there's a high Mac usage, largely because we're predominantly a competitor to Vizio and Vizio doesn't work with Macs. So we look for accounts that have an initiative to move to the cloud, look for collaboration. They have high Mac usage. These are great accounts for us to start talking to and penetrating. What do you mean by all this, the Mac and Vizio? So Microsoft Vizio, uh, one of our key competitors from a product standpoint, um, it, it does not work on a an Apple Apple products. It only works on uh, Windows, Windows solutions. And so if a company has, you know, predominantly their Apple products or have a, a, a MacBook, Hive population, they just can't use that. And they just can't use Visio. They have to use this online version of Visio, which you know has very, very limited functionality. And so that's a great way for us to initially penetrate these accounts is going head to head. If there is a Visio population, Microsoft Visio, if they they there is some penetration there and they have Max, it's a great um, anchor point for us. But if they're really just driving online collaboration, that's that's a real important if you look at you know CIOs, that's one of their number one focuses of 2019, that's something that we look at as clear buying signals. And we we have purchased a tool called Discover Org. It's a data enrichment tool and they have and they have like contact data, but they also have really good what they call scoops. That's that's what internally they call them. And they what they're doing is they're constantly talking to individuals at these various accounts and understanding what are their initiatives. And so a lot of our reps will go in, look at, hey, I'm you know I'm selling into ABC Corp. I'm going to look at what are their key initiatives? If you know you see collaboration, if you see a move towards cloud applications, that's a really great way for us to initially intro and understand what's important to them and get that initial foothold with that account. And then we can start having a broader conversation. And maybe and maybe it turns into, hey, you know, we drive people to initially just try the freemium product and then engage later once they've had a, more of an experience with the product. Or it might lead to an initial, you know, site-wide or a large deployment, just depending on 
what, where, where are they in the buying cycle and kind of in their, in their various initiatives. Okay. So it sounds like you have all this process very well defined and mapped out. We're, we're, we're still working on it. It's a work in progress. I think it's always, it's always a work in progress, uh, <laughs> yeah. no matter how big and how, su- how successful you are. So exactly. it's always changing. Having all this mapped out, what can you learn from this? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing that as we start to really look and, and learn into this is how do you, it's an interesting balancing act, especially with your sales reps is how do you enable them to go kind of look for new motions while also then once they find something that works, how do you take that and then scale it to the team? Um, and that's that's an area I think that you know we're still struggling with to figuring out how do you you know let's just say John Smith out on the sales floor he ends up finding you know hey this is something this is some messaging or this is I've been digging through data and noticing this initiative actually leads to really good success how do we then take that bundle it up into you know a core sales play and then spread it out broadly to the team because that's where you actually get mass adoption and really start seeing the impact of of those new plays and so that's why I think where we we're still trying to figure out what's the best way and most effective way to actually do that. And so, you know, one of the ways that that we're doing is really working with our frontline managers and we use a tool called outreach.io. It's a, an automated engagement platform. Uh, so where reps can, it's reps can then set up like a cadence that'll say, Hey, I'm going to put John Smith into this cadence. It's going to send this, templatized email. I mean, they customize it based on the individual, the account, and there's some ways to make it more personalized, but it'll say day one, it sends this um, day three, I'm supposed to call them and leave a voicemail day five. I then, you know, follow up with, you know, this email, et cetera. And it's, it, it manages the cadence there. And so one of the things that we're doing is by we've, we've brought in all of those tools to the manager level. So they're the only ones that have the ability to, create new cadences, create new messaging. And um, we've also trained them on how to A-B test certain things. So what they'll do is they'll, you know, you, as you start dumping things into this cadence, you can actually program it to where it'll split it between, you know, message one versus message two, and it'll track the data on those two paths. And then what they can do is they're empowered to say, you know what, like this new messaging, this, this B path has been really successful. So let's replace A, remove Let's, let's pull A, complete out of sequence, and then let's just keep going until we just get you know, continue to hone our messaging. As they look for new plays, they'll add those in as well. And so that's been the way we're attempting to really scale this out without you know necessarily centralizing it into one core unit, but allowing our managers to be really agile um, and entrepreneurial as well. Why are you uh, not allowing the individual sales guys to also create their own cadences? Yeah, I mean, the main thing is largely because, well, there's a couple of reasons. Ultimately, you know, sales reps, like they, I don't want to say there was abuse because that's not the, that's definitely far too dramatic, but some reps will, you know, be very, very diligent and, you know, very methodical with their cadences and, and even their messaging. And then others, you know, frankly, will just be lazy. And so what we want to do is incentivize, and we also want to incentivize collaboration. And so having to work together as a team, uh, I mean, most of our team sizes are about eight to 10 reps. It, it, it's very manageable for them. You know, they have daily or weekly standups. They can say, Hey, I want to try this messaging. And then, you know, they can build it out and they send it to the manager. He's like, yeah, I like it. Let's throw it in there. And reps can start using it. So it drives collaboration. It also kind of prevents there. There's a control mechanism to ensure we're not spamming our accounts and all these types of things as well. So it's a bit of a control and then also to drive collaboration. All right. Yeah. I, I use uh, outreach myself and I really, really love 
everything that does and I set up my com- the companies I work with. Uh, yeah. With yeah, I mean, a lot. they can still, I mean, for the record, they can still, they still use it for all their emailing. They just can't build new cadences and new sequences. When you're mapping out, when you're looking at the sales process and you're using these tools such as outreach, what analytics are you looking at? What roles do they play? Yeah, that's a great question. I would kind of break our analytics piece into maybe three segments. First and foremost is what, what I'd call like account analytics. And so we kind of talked a little bit about buying signals. Um, and so we, we've been partnering with our analytics team. We built what's called a recommendation engine. And so a lot of these buying signals, we've surfaced to them. They have a, they check this recommendation engine on a daily basis. And they'll go look at their book of business and it'll, you know, flag, Hey, this, this account either had, you know, they just maxed out on all their licensing. And so it's a great time to engage or this account just had a new executive sign up or we have all these different triggers that will recommend that they engage with that account and also provide, um, at least in the phase one, a very initial recommendation on how to engage with that account and who to engage with. Um, and so it, it, the kind of first segment, as I mentioned, is like who to talk to and when to talk to them. Okay, the second sec- bucket of analytics is what I would call performance management. And so how are reps performing? What are their activity levels? Where are they being effective? Um, you know, you think of it as like, you know, funnel conversion, um, stage conversion, all this type of stuff where, where are um, they being successful and where are they not being successful? So then a manager can come in and understand where should I dedicate my coaching time um, towards, or is there an issue of just, they're not putting enough top of funnel or enough, you know, talk new prospects into the funnel, or do they actually have a problem getting things to move through the sales cycle? And if so, where, how do we coach that? And then I would say the third bucket that, that we really dig into is really executive facing reporting, high level, like how is, what is the health of our sales business and then potentially into our segments. And that'll be a little bit of a flavor of the other two buckets, but predominantly, you know, looking at, you know, things like sales velocity. So how quickly are deals moving through the pipeline? What's our average deal size and really high level metrics that'll give us indicators on how things are going, are the things that we are doing as a sales leadership team actually having an impact? Because if we're making dramatic changes, we're not seeing some of these core metrics moving or our KPIs, you know, maybe we're not focusing on the right things. So those are kind of the three buckets that we break our analytics to, into. Okay. When you, when you talk about the recommendation engine, the uh, first level on the account analytics, what are some of the triggers that this engine is looking at for first-time buyers that haven't been uh, in the system yet? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the big things we do is when a, a new user is allocated a license, they there is a persona or think of it as like a demographic picker. So, if I sign into Lucid Chart, it'll say, you know, which, which best describes myself? Is it, am I in sales? Am I in finance? Am I in marketing, et cetera. So they pick that. And then they would, then the second question it asks is, you know, what's your kind of level? Are you an individual contributor all the way up to an executive? And so depending on what they pick, that will immediately trigger certain responses. So one of the things we're obviously looking for is senior level individuals that are signing up and getting into the product. And especially on net new accounts, that's a real clear indicator that there's a big initiative going on. So if, you know, we just have an account and someone signs up for a free account and they're an executive, like we need to be talking to that person immediately because they're clearly not, I mean, there may be an instance where, 
they're just looking into build a simple flowchart, but most of the times they're exploring some technology and to drive some initiative or key initiative at their business. So that's one of our key uh, on net new, at least that we're looking for, as well as, you know, some of the firmographic stuff that we're in or phase two of what we're trying to put in is like new funding rounds, things like that, you know, announcements around, you know, new executives and things like that are some of the other triggers that we're um, working on building out right now into our phase two. You said something that I think is really important that has helped a lot of companies I've been I've been a part of, and that's the uh, gathering of the information for, during the onboarding, uh, the client onboarding. And it's so important you could automate this and just have it have it be on there. So once they sign up and as they log into the platform, it just asks like it's one or two pages of questions. Have you seen any resistance to using something like this? Resistance from our side or from the customer side? From the customer side. Yeah, I mean, the key, it's all, it all comes down to, I mean, I worked at a company, Qualtrics, they were a survey methodology company or a survey platform. And so I've spent a lot of time there and it's, it's, it's a fine balancing act. You know, you, you have to be, keep it limited to like one to two questions. If it gets much more than that, you just see response rates just drop precipitously. So for us, we're really looking for two, we're just looking for those two data points of, you know, what persona do they fit into and what's kind of their seniority level. And those two have been, you know, just a wealth of information for us. I mean, especially what's interesting is not only looking for, and this is maybe a bit more on the upsell side, not necessarily the net new, but not just looking at the individuals, but also looking at trends. Because yeah, we might see a bunch of individual sales rep, individual contributor sales reps signing up for a product. But if you actually start to see them in mass, you know that something is going on. There is some sort of initiative going on at that that company there. If all of a sudden, you know, I'm selling to ABC company and I see 10 individual sales reps in the last week signing up for loser chart, something's going on. So I'm going to reach out to them and understand, hey, you know, how did you find us? Here's some ways, and then you can start. Actually, we have marketing material around what is, you know, what Lucidchart can provide for that persona, and then we can start getting understanding what's driving them there, and then ultimately capitalize on that, and and hopefully get to more of a strategic buyer and have a conversation around initiatives. Great. Okay, I want to take a a little change here and talk about uh, the customer experience and how sales really takes a part in that customer experience. How does that happen uh, at Lucidcharts? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I think often overlooked in the customer experience. I mean, most of the time you coming from, as I mentioned, Qualtrics, that, you know, one of their core platforms and products is customer experience. And oftentimes they, we think of customer experience as point of sale and on, but really the customer journey begins obviously at um, initial like interests and when they find hear about the product. And then central to that is really the the experience and the first impression that's made by the sales rep. And so how we're approaching that is one of the ways that is really critical for us is rethinking that initial engagement and what we're presenting. So one of the things we had done with our setters was focus on the initial qualification questions. In the first kind of phase of those, we're very I would say transactional, like, hey, tell me how many employees you have, how many seats you would be interested in. And just a very like basic approach. Non-engaging. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not very exciting. It's, I mean, imagine if you're like an executive and some, we, we call them SDRs, but some person, you know, you want to like learn about the product and how it can benefit you. And all of a sudden they're like, how many people are in your company? How many would be interested in this product? It's It just turns you off. 
you've then got to almost recover. And so one of the things we're flipping is really focusing on like, what are their key initiatives? What are the causes that, that led them to want to engage with us that to fill out that form, to download that ebook, and then really doing deep discovery into what matters to them. I mean, one of the things like we as individuals, as, as human beings love to love to talk and love to talk about ourselves. And so getting them to talk about what's on their mind, what are they doing? What are their key initiatives? That pivot, I think really immediately establishes a relationship, a collaborative and a a collaborative relationship, as well as almost like a really a partnership, I guess is what it comes down to, as opposed to like very transactional sell. And so if you establish it there, it will carry through ultimately the customer life cycle. They don't view Lucid as just a, you know, I call them up, I need five more licenses and then hang up. But instead, hey, I've got this business problem. I want to engage with you guys and help think through this. And so then it, you know, I mean, you think about that, if you start from the very beginning, when they become a full-fledged customer and move over to like customer success or one of our uh, customer support, et cetera, they now have really that strong foundation around being a, you know, collaborative relationship that it just makes that those relationships 10 times more impactful as well. Great. I think that's really important and uh, really something that a lot of people should take into account is you really need to be building that relationship. Don't, like you said, asking the, asking the founder of a company, how many employees you have, that's something that's lazy sales because you could look on yeah. LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You mentioned before outreach uh, and discover org. What other tools are you using to help with the uh, sales process? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, we're a Salesforce shop. So, we use salesforce.com as our CRM, as an outreach and discover org. We also recently purchased a tool called DataFox, which is more of a form- firmographic data provider, which helps a lot. I mean, especially as, as we've segmented our business, as I talked about earlier, into the SMB, mid-market, and corporate, that employee headcount number is really critical. And I mean, frankly, going back to our conversation about customer experience, nothing looks, you, you look really dumb if you go to a company and say, oh yeah, I, I'm an SMB rep. And they're like, SMB, I have 1500 employees. Like, why am I talking to you? And it's like, oh, I just had bad data, you know? And so making sure you have really good data drives it, you know, it's a great customer experience, but then also it just ensures you've got the right person on that account. You know, you understand what industry they're in. I mean, you can really set them up for success. Nothing's worse than... You know, I, I've had it happen to me when people are trying to sell to me. They're like, oh, Lucid, what do you do? How much funding do you have? I mean, they're asking dumb questions that you should be able to look on even LinkedIn. But making sure you've armed your reps with the basic understanding of these companies is really critical. And making sure the data is accurate also is, is really critical. And so that's, so DataFox, we are, I'm trying to think of, we, we try to keep a pretty lean tech stack. We do use a tool called, it is, it's a basically a lead routing tool. I'll pull it up right here. Oh, distribution engine. And it's been super helpful for us because one of the things that that's really critical in our in our marketing space with any of our leads is speed to lead is just, I think too many companies fail with that. I mean, I, I've been on the other end where I go fill out a form, like I'm expecting you to like either call me or email me in like 30 minutes or less. And when a company takes a day or two to get back to me, I'm just like, I'm done, I'm over it. And so by really making sure you are focusing and honing on that speed to lead is critical. It just, it also like going back to our conversation of customer experience, you know, when, when it takes a day or two, like, I feel like you don't really care about me and that you really aren't that hungry for my business. Whereas if, you know, you're chomping at the bit and you're talking to me now, you've set up this 
almost like sense of urgency. It's like, hey, we really want to talk to you. We we value your business. And so Speed to Lead has been really cr- critical in that distribution engine allows us to you know route leads appropriately and get them to the, the people that can um, respond as quickly as possible. It's also really important uh, that Speed to Lead because then you're the first person to talk to them, hopefully, because if, yeah. if they're signing up right. for you, they're signing up for your competition. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is where I see most companies fail, especially in early stage is, you know, you, you've spent so much money getting them to come download that website. Like, you know, why not ensure that you're leveraging and maximizing that? And too many just, they miss that mark. You know, you've, you've already paid for the advertisement or something to get them there. Like, why not capitalize on that? And then just from a tech stack standpoint, that, that's pretty much all we, we run on. We have some, we use Twilio for some of our phone numbers and we do use insidesales.com for um, some of our more basic lead routing. But for the most part, that's, that's, we keep our tech stack pretty lean. What's your favorite book for sales or leadership? Oh, that's a great question. One of the ones that, you know, I've recently, I just actually read and I, you know, I'm in love with right now. It's called Proactive Selling and they have a proactive, for me, it's the, they, he has two kind of additions, one's for the individual reps and then one is for the managers. And so the Proactive Selling Management, I believe is what it's called or Proactive Sales Management. I really love the guys, the author's name is Skip Miller. We've, we've been working with him here at Lucid. He's worked with companies like Tableau with Zoom, who just IPO'd, had a really successful IPO um, and just some really, really great tech names. And some of the concepts and tools that he uh, has are just really simple. A lot of times you, well, I, you know, I've talked to a number of sales methodology shops like force management, challenger sale and all this stuff. A lot of times you, you hear about value selling and they talk about it in a very ad, abstract way. This approach and Skip Miller's proactive selling really gives you tools on how to actually do that as opposed to some theoretical sell on value. Don't talk about product benefits, but you know, like that's great in theory, but how do you actually do that? And so I've, I've really enjoyed his books and we're, we're starting to have a broader engagement with him here at Lucid and, and excited to see the, the impact that it's going to have. And as we really pivot into true value selling, not just this kind of theoretical idea. The keyword. All right. So you've, you've been part of several uh, fast or high growth startups or tech companies. What's the number one lesson that you've learned that you think any founder should know? Yeah. I mean, I think the best thing, and this is, you know, I'll pull from my Amazon days. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Amazon. I, I still love it, but they had some key leadership principles. And I think one of the ones that they specifically call out is bias for action. And I think that that's super critical. I see too many either founders or just individuals and, and leaders that want to develop this perfect plan. Um, I used to, I did a lot of NBA interviews at, at Amazon. And one of the things that we talk about was, you know, if, if I had two options, option A was you do this perfect analysis and it takes a month. Or option B is you do a really good analysis, make some assumptions, but I can get it in a week. I will choose that latter option every single time. And so there is very, you know, speed to market is so, so critical. And it applies to everything, not just like actually getting your products to market, but also how are you improving process? How are you, I mean, really anything, you know, your accounting procedures, as long as you're still, you know, being very meticulous and keeping a high bar, but making, you know, meticulous and educated assumptions like that, that bias for action principle, I think is super, super critical. It's, it's what helps you scale. If you're, you know, constantly trying to just build this perfect product, this perfect process, you're going to, you know, stop at the end of the year and look back and realize I didn't really execute on all that much. 
Whereas if you get there quickly, like you fail fast or find the bugs quickly, great, you can resolve them. But until you get it out in the market, like you're never going to know. You know, you can build everything perfectly in a vacuum, but it's not really perfect because you don't, it's not been tested. Great. Brandon, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing all this advice with us today. What's a way for people to get a hold of you or reach out to you? Yeah, probably the best is LinkedIn. It's just Brandon Bussey. I don't think there's too many of us out there. So um, you should just be able to find me on LinkedIn. That's probably my main method of communication. So um, just look me up there and, you know, would love to engage in conversations and learn about what problems you're facing and happy to help in any way possible. Great. Brandon, thanks very much. No, thank you. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. 